0: Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 just hit cinemas around the world this past weekend. Let's break down this massive box office and critical hit. Now before we get into our review for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, we wanted to state that this podcast was recorded during the 2023 wga and sag after strikes without the labor of the writers and actors currently on strike this film would not exist and we would not even be able to cover it so we would like to say that we stand in solidarity with the actors and writers in hollywood hello movie friends welcome to raiders of the Lost podcast the ultimate film and tv podcast and today we are breaking down Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. I'm so glad this film finally hit theaters. I had an absolute blast in the theater watching this in IMAX. The sequences were bombastic and dynamic. The action was huge. The character development was fantastic. And overall, I had a really great time watching this film. I will say it did have some pacing issues and it is a minor step down from Mission Impossible Fallout. But, Dead Reckoning, I have it number two on my list for the franchise. Wow, number two on your list. And, I mean, a step down from probably the greatest action film of the century is still high praise. And I had a blast as well seeing the seventh film directed by Christopher McQuarrie for this franchise. He's only done four. Sorry, I didn't mean to say he's done seven. But the seventh film of the franchise directed again by Christopher McQuarrie, written by Bruce Geller. Eric Genderson, and Christopher McQuarrie as well. We're going to keep this spoiler-free for about 10, 15 minutes. We will give you warnings when we talk about stuff that is spoiler-y because we understand that I'm sure some of you haven't seen yeah. the movie yet. It just came out this past Thursday, and we're recording this on July 12th before the film's release. But overall, this film is incredible. Rotten Tomatoes, it is at 97% critic score with over 200 reviews, 94% audience score. IMDb, it is at an 82 The budget of this film was pretty much $300 million, which is the most expensive Mission Impossible film and most expensive film Tom Cruise has ever made in his entire career. This was because of the many and frequent delays caused by COVID-19 during the filming and production of this film. The box office, we don't know anything about it yet, but the projections are saying, which you'll know by now, projecting about $85 to $100 million domestic, as well as $250 million total global. Again, we're filming this. A few days before it's released, so we don't know the numbers yet, but it's going to be a smash hit. I'm sure it'll hit its budget in just a week or so and then start making a ton of profit for Paramount, which is, you know, Paramount's been killing it. They had Top Gun Maverick last year. They got this coming out. They have back-to-back years with their They're Michigan in the Tom Cruise business. They are in the Tom Cruise <laughs> business because Dead Reckoning Part 2 is going to come out next year in theaters at the same time, and I believe they were supposed to film these back-to-back, but I think there was a yes. slight delay because of all the COVID situations They that originally planned to film it as one movie, yeah. and then to, but to release it separately. So I'm sure they're going to go right into filming very soon because they have a year to get the second one out, but I'm sure they filmed plenty. They're actually heavily in production, and from what I read recently, they're almost completely wrapped on principal photography for the second film, so that's already mostly in the can. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little... Um, but it's really impressive that they finished this production because of the complications of COVID and the lockdowns around the world, because they were shooting on all sorts of exterior locations all over Europe and all over the, the globe, really. So that must have been an absolute um, chaotic mess to try and organize, uh, to handle reshoots and to, to handle the various protocols that every different country had at the time. So it's it's really just like. Kudos to the team. I'm sure it was really difficult, but they got through it, and they ended up making a really terrific action film. You know, Tom Cruise, time and time again, he keeps just showcasing that. He knows how to make a great action film, a great adventure film. He knows how to make that perfect popcorn flick. And now we're going to get multiple years in a row of these Tom Cruise films. And with Top Gun Maverick, he reminded everybody... How big of a star he was and how much he cared about the audience and trying to put on a good show for them. That's what he puts first and foremost. And MI7 is just another example of that where I walked into this knowing what I wanted and it hit every beat. It was so much fun. It doesn't take itself too seriously while also talking about some actually really resonant themes about the future that I think worked really well and they wove together really perfectly into the story. They have an excellent cast of new characters this in this episode in this uh film. Haley Atwell was an absolute scene stealer as Grace in this film. She and Tom Cruise had so much chemistry, I was just it was just like palpable. It was on screen. It was oozing. They're, oozing. They're everywhere. absolutely <laughs> dynamite together. And Plaw and Pom off... Was an excellent new villain she was really exciting really dynamic on screen she held her own in the action sequences you can see in the trailer she's driving this massive truck she's in some fight sequences and she really crushes this role i think she did a really phenomenal job stepping out of the marvel universe to do something else and she is really like from what i can tell she's a movie star she's got it and whenever she's on screen like she really excites the audience and same thing with haley atwell um and then asi morales Ended up being another fantastic villain for this new entry in the franchise so along with the cast that we already know and love so much the cast regulars who are all seasoned veterans and who are all excellent together we get this new ec- fantastic cast of characters and every actor did a wonderful job performing now let's set up the synopsis and again i'm not going to spoil anything yet but we will be spoiling stuff in order to oh, talk yeah. about this film be So, be prepared ethan hunt and the imf team must track down a oh, terror tariff- we, we need a trailer voice man Ethan Hunt and the IMF team must track down a terrifying new weapon that threatens all of humanity. It falls into the wrong hands before it falls into the wrong hands. With control of the future and the fate of the world at stake, a deadly race around the globe begins. Confronted by a mysterious, all-powerful enemy, Ethan is forced to consider that nothing can matter more than the mission, <laughs> not even the lives of those he cares about not Out most. of breath. It's <laughs> <laughs> a tough one. It's tough to inhale when you're doing that voice. Yeah, I'm sure it takes a lot of practice. But this film... Somehow, Cruz and McQuarrie, this incredible filmmaking team, since Jack Reacher, they've been working together. Mm-hmm. Somehow they figured out how to up the stakes and the, up the ante, up the action and up the stunts from Mission Impossible so out, So many ups <laughs> from Mission Impossible Fallout. Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation. We saw some death-defying, incredible sequences in all those films. Fallout, I didn't think they could top it, but then obviously we have so many sequences that we know about if you haven't seen the movie, like Jumping Off the Cliff and Parachuting. There are sequences in this film that will even blow your minds past that, that they don't show in the trailers at all, really. And I think it's just impressive what they're able to do to just raise the Annie. And like Anthony was talking about, all these new faces with Hayley Ott. Well, Pam Clementif. I think that's the better way to pronounce her name. Clementif. Yeah, not T.F.? Well, you said Clemente Clement. Clemente off, <laughs> She's French, Clementif, I think that's how you say it. I'm guessing Carrie Clement a- So she plays Paris, this yes. uh, rogue or no no named assassin. She's a mercenary, yeah. No named assassin. Yeah. We have Grace played by Haley Atwell, who comes in as part of the IMF in some ways. Carrie Elwis, He's Denlinger. He's basically the head of national security. Briggs, played by Shea Wiggum, is a new addition, as well as Degas. Greg Tarzan Davis plays this role. He's from also Top on Maverick. Maverick. And then Gabriel S.I. Morales, who replaced Nicholas Holt in the film, who plays a major villain. But also we have our returning faces of Ethan Hunt, played by Tom Cruise, obviously. We have Benji, played by the hilarious and talented Simon Pegg. Luther, played by Ving Rames, Ilsa Faust returning to form with Rebecca Ferguson in this role. And then, of course, we have the White Widow's return, played by the highly talented Vanessa Kirby. As well as a blast from the past, we have, obviously, in the trailer, Kittredge from the first film, played by Henry Czerny. And he is a villain, and this film has so many callbacks from that first film. He's an antagonist to Ethan Hunt in that film. Besides Kittredge, this movie has so many callbacks to the original film. We have so many more masks, so much more trickery. We have twists. We're kind of going analog to a lot of extent, like Skyfall did with James of uh, the Daniel James Bond. <laughs> I almost said Bond and Craig is a name combined. And then lots of humor infused. And this, I think, might be the most fun Mission Impossible movie yet. The humor worked. It was really fun because it, it just like the Fallout, Fallout was when they started poking fun at themselves with, you know, ca- Cavill saying... Guys just wear rubber masks. That's that's the thing, right? If you choose to accept. Like, they were teasing it. And then in this film, they upped the comedy on that. <laughs> they were just poking fun front of the franchise and how kind of ridiculous it can be. And it really worked. Like, you have Shea Wiggum's character just constantly, like, pulling people's cheeks to see if they're wearing a mask. <laughs> and, it got, and, and the joke worked every time. It was very funny. And then I love, like you said, the callbacks. We get the train sequence. We get a lot of close dutch angles between kittredge and ethan hunt in this film very reminiscent of their restaurant scene in the first film so i like how they've embraced the past embraced the roots that got them to this point while also just expanding the scope expanding the universe and really delivering on the promise of giving us more without sacrificing quality or depth of character and story because the story is very good i will say um, I put it down, I put it below fallout because it does have some pacing issues. It, it is a bit slow of a first act. and there is quite a lot of exposition in the first act, a little more than I think they needed. They could have, I think trimmed they, they could have turned, um, there's one big scene. they could have cut it down about two and a half, I would say. Um, so it, it does have some pacing issues. But once the movie gets rolling after the first act, it is just nonstop propulsive really fantastic storytelling so much fun and just pure escapism but i will just say fallout it has just absolutely perfect precise pacing and there isn't like an ounce of fat that isn't that doesn't need to be there so for me fallout seems to be like um too perfect of a movie for them to maybe even be able to top but that's not saying that um dead reckoning part one was not absolutely fantastic because i thought it was i think i know what you're talking about uh which i want to get to in a minute so i want to say one more thing before we start getting into spoiler territory how many miles did tom cruise sprint while making this movie i've never seen him run so much in my life and every time i was so excited about it it looked <laughs> terrific it was, there was a lot yeah so many great sequences but he's sprinting his fucking ass off in this movie like every scene he's like well he didn't, he didn't have a broken leg this time it's true, yeah <laughs> <He> <laughs> last, last time he i'm sure shatter it, his tibia yeah, halfway it, through production it limited him last time <laughs> but man he's running like crazy in this movie and i loved every <laughs> second of it but how about now we're gonna give you all a warning big spoiler wa- alert warning if you haven't seen the movie highly recommend checking it out obviously in imax the best way to experience this film in particular it's made for that big ass screen and that bumping sound system because now we're going to get into some spoiler territory, and I think I want to go back to what you were saying with the pacing problems. I felt the pacing issue as well. I think it has more to do with this being—you're the op- You're talking about the opening sequence, the submarine. No. Oh, no. I'm talking about the, the second sequence, the office sequence. Gotcha. All the right. submarine sequence, I loved. I loved the opening sequence. I thought it was fantastic. Okay, but the first act, I agree— was a little slow start, especially after the submarine sequence, which the submarine sequence, the whole time, it's a Russian submarine, but everyone's speaking English with a Russian accent. I think it would have been better if they were speaking Russian with I English think, subtitles yeah, I think that wherever you are. Yeah, Everywhere All at Once showed that um, audiences are ready to watch um, big movies like this with different languages being spoken and reading the captions. I do think it would have worked better as well, but I still thought that sequence was really well done um, and just surprising, and it was an excellent setup for the stakes because eventually we learn that the ultimately the main antagonist of the story yes it is gabriel but it's mostly the technology which he is uh using which is this uh new ai system that has become self-aware and is extremely powerful and is wreaking havoc upon the world systems of technology and poses an immense threat to the entire globe so i thought that it was a wonderful new villain to put into the story very timely very relevant And on top of that, they did an excellent job portraying um, artificial intelligence, whether it be using um, AI to create someone's voice and make some like when the AI used Benji's voice to trick Ethan in Venice or when the AI was erasing Gabriel live from security footage all over the airport and also AI technology that we have different countries in terms of facial recognition technology. So, the use of technology and AI, most notably, was really impressive, really well done, and really, uh, it was real world uh, believability. And I'm sure that going forward, the story is going to get more complex and more intense. But I thought that the AI technology was an excellent villain. But the, the scene I'm, I'm talking about is the next scene after the submarine in the office setting, and we have a bunch of heads of departments discussing Filling us in on what's going on, what these keys are, basically, basically giving us all the exposition we need to know. This is called the community. Okay, the community. So first of all, I we need that exposition. It's a great setup, but I think it was a little overly long. They could have simplified it. But also, it gets a little cheesy when every, it's like one person saying one line, then another person says another line. It's like too often people were taking turns speaking. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get it. Was it was like yeah. it was like it was like a, was like a paragraph. And each character said one sentence in that paragraph. It just got a little too much. It would have worked better if maybe one or two people were just filling us in on everything. Yeah, I agree for sure, because I was like, who's going to talk next? Yeah, everyone got there perfectly timed. It's very fair. I get it. Everyone gets equal <laughs> lines in the room. I get it. I get it. <laughs> I-, I agree. But it ju- it just kind of took me out of it. But once Ethan showed up and the music played, he took that mask off. The the audience came alive, but you can tell people were kind of like, people were like, kind of like, okay, this is a little long, but then when Ethan showed up, okay, we're in good hands now. So I I agree, the pacing was slow, but again, I think we have to understand that they're setting up exposition for two movies. I think that's why they have to kind of help people out and guide them through it because this is a big movie, a huge investment, two movies. You gotta get people prepared. You gotta get them invested in the second film. You gotta set up this plot. And so basically, I'd like to set up this opening submarine scene, what's inside the sub, and then also the entity before we get more into the film. That's cool with you. Hey, it's cool with me, man. So the opening of the movie, it opens up with the Sevastopol submarine sinking in the Arctic after it fired a torpedo at an enemy, only for them to vanish from their radar. Then the torpedo rerouted itself towards the Russian submarine street, sinking it and causing the Warcraft to plummet to the seabed, where it remains to indefinitely until someone finds it. Now, what is inside the sub? According to Denlinger, the secrets of the entity are inside the submarine. More specifically, its source code prior to becoming the entity is in its state-of-the-art sonar and stealth defense system. So, if someone finds a submarine, gets in, and makes a quick getaway with the code, they may be able to control the entity altogether or kill it if he, if Ethan has his way. An earlier version of the entity was injected into this system with the task of sabotaging the submarine's stealth capability, but instead, the, it tricked the, the Sevastopol into destroying itself. No one knows why, but it left these breadcrumbs and these fingerprints, basically ma- sending a message to humanity in a lot of so ways. So it wasn't that wasn't its objective. It was just supposed to be kind of a test yeah. for it. But it took over and decided to take out the sub exactly. And now, whoever can act to access this can divide can access this device inside the submarine, they can either control or destroy the entity. However, in order to gain access to that chamber in this device, you need those two key pieces to make the final key piece to get into that chamber in the submarine. Now, Let's talk about the entity and what it is. This is the biggest threat that Ethan has ever faced. It's a mysterious artificial intelligence designed for intel gathering and hacking into enemy systems that somehow developed sentience and began a campaign of cyber terrorism against the world's various intelligence services. The movie explains how the AI evolved and started targeting global banks and defense systems. Pretty much any cyber infrastructure is defenseless against the entity, but for now, it hasn't been doing any harm. It's just been, you know, walking in, saying hi, what's going on, leaving its fingerprints, breadcrumbs, then leaving again, signaling larger and more devastating actions in the future. A great example of this is the airport sequence where supposedly there's this nuclear bomb that Benji has to deactivate. Fortunately, he does with a second to spare. There's nothing inside of it. He's just, the entity is just messing with everybody, basically. The Entity began as an AI design, designed by several U.S. government officials, including CIA director Denlinger. Again, this is the character played by Carrie Elwes. For the purpose of hacking into enemy hardware, Denlinger would test out a prototype version of the Entity by using it to hack into Russia's Sevastopol submarine and disabled stealth cloak. We talked about that earlier, but now the Entity is completely rogue. And I like how Denlinger, he see—he was he was playing unawares in the opening of the film. And then by the third act, he re- he's revealed to be uh, a villain of the story who's trying to make a deal with Gabriel about the entity and the AI. So I like how you know he's the head of this department, but he's acting aloof, which worked out really well as a fun twist. This film has multiple really really excellent twists and surprises and now that the entity is completely rogue and is hacking the world's various intelligence communities to gather as much data as possible it's resulting in this massive race beginning between the various countries and governments of the world to gain control over it and thus gain the ability to control the perception of the truth and again one half of those key half of those keys is worth more is the most valuable thing on the planet, basically. Now, the main plot of the film and why Ethan gets involved in this, besides getting the, the half of the key from Ilsa, which he is given the mission from Kittridge after he reveals he's under that mask. His mission is to obtain that half of the key that Ilsa has. Anticipating that Ethan Hunt would become a threat to the entity, out of fear, it recruited an old enemy from his past, the mysterious terrorist. Gabriel to serve as its messenger and an actor of its will now just to correct you I th- he's not ent- Gabriel's not using the entity the entity is using Gabriel the entity tasked Gabriel with obtaining the two keys to the lock chamber on board the Sylvester pool before the IMF or any other faction could claim them and basically it is obviously the greatest entity in the world at hacking precise calculations image and data manipulation as well as impersonation now back to you pal now I'm done talking <laughs> about the entity. Twelve hours. Well, I want to I give everyone that like, applause. No, 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 no up, I'm, you I'm just teasing know. you. I'm just <laughs> te- <laughs> Once he gets reading, everyone is just like, <laughs> just want to give the people. What they but mean. no, you're right. I, I uh, Gabriel is at the beck and whim of the AI, and it's probably promised him so much wealth and power for his services. And what I really like is throughout the course of the film, we begin learning that he's following instructions of the AI constantly to the second. And the AI, uh, as he says, computes thousands of trillions of uh, thing, like what it, analytical things every second, every millisecond. So it knows how to respond to everything. It, it's already planned out every situation. It's seen every possible outcome. So it's able to uh, put Gabriel on this constant path of where to turn, what to do next, where to look, uh, when, when to jump off the train per- precisely to land in, uh, safely on that truck bed. And so I think we're going to see more of that in the second film of Gabriel following the instructions perfectly timed by the AI for every movement and every decision that he makes it while he's still in the AI are still trying to figure out human dynamics and the unexpected can still happen. Ethan Hunt, I think is a representation of the unexpected. I mean, what's more unexpected than him crashing through the fucking train after you're skydiving. <laughs> so to a, to a certain extent, Ethan is that, that wrench in the, mach- in the engine, that cog in the machine that's, preventing the AI and Gabriel from achieving their goal. And I think he represents that human nature, the unpredictability and something that can't be planned for because otherwise they plan everything to a T. And that all relates to the title of dead reckoning. And, you know, AI and prediction is a main component of this. So what does dead reckoning mean? Dead reckoning is the process of determining one's present position by projecting courses and speeds from a known past position and predicting a future position by projecting courses and speeds from a known present position. So, basically, that's why the AI is involving, the entity is involving Gabriel, because he's using Gabriel as well as all the information it has on Ethan, on the IMF. It knows what everyone's going to do. It knows the steps that Ethan would take and the things that he would do to save his friends. He knows his friends are most important to them as well as the ghosts. And the skeletons in his closet from his past, which is why Gabriel is here to mess with Ethan and make Ethan make decisions that the AI wants him to make. However, Luther wisely tells him, You can't think like you, you have to think like it. Means meaning basically, you cannot kill Gabriel, even though the entity wants you to kill Gabriel. That's the main thing that we're talking about. So this directly relates to the AI's ability to predict the futures and actions of everyone involved. Don't think like it. I mean, don't think like yourself, think like it. And a great example of the A.I. understanding each person so much is during the Venice chase sequence after Ethan escapes from Paris and, and the other henchmen and he's going after Ilsa trying to find her because he knows she's fighting Gabriel. It, in, it imitates Simon Pegg's Benji's voice, but not only does it imitate his voice, but it also makes the kind of like flimsy error that Benji would make while, while guiding Ethan through some kind of puzzle Oh, don't go left, don't go left, this way, this way, sorry, I messed up. So that's a great example of the AI understanding each person so well, their personalities, even the mistakes they'll make when they're um, doing an objective. So I love the precision of the the writing right there. That was an excellent example of that. And the story takes some unpredictable turns. But one of the biggest surprises for the film, I think, was Haley Atwell as Grace, this thief character that comes into play. She was hired to tail Ethan on the airport he eventually learns um, and to help basically set up set up on these this chain of events starting with the airport and Haley Atwell was so incredible in this film and we begin to learn that she's going to be a part of this franchise for the future she looks like she could be someone to take over the mantle I think Tom will always be involved but she might end up being like the new lead of this franchise in the coming years because A main theme of this film is making a choice. I like how recently with the McQuarrie films, they set up a a main theme in the opening scene of each film. Um, Last with Fallout, it was Ethan being unable to sacrifice the life of one of his friends for the greater good of many of millions. And then in this film, the main theme for the the characters is the choice. And most notably, they're specifically saying the choice to become a member of the IMF. And so it opens with a, a new member of the IMF, Passing his final test by handing a package over to Ethan. Ethan says you made the right choice. This ties to Grace's character um, when she learns that every other member of the IMF, they were in similar criminal uh, circumstances where they were given the option of facing persecution or joining uh, the Impossible Mission Force for the foreseeable future. And we learn that every member of the crew has said yes to that choice, accepted the mission. And then Grace eventually, she also... Takes the choice and also accepts. So, uh, the 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 choice to become a member and the choice to do this is one of the main themes for this story as well. And I I think that Grace is an amazing new character. She's so much fun, so charming, resourceful, resilient. Um, she's just as capable as anyone else. But I also like to I like how McQuarrie and his writers that they'll show someone who's lived. It's not like a perfect like um what do you call them? Mary Sue that that kind of archetype where she can do everything. Like, the driving sequence is a great example where she's, like, struggling to drive and Ethan's helping her half the time. I think it would have been uh, too unbelievable if she was great at everything right away, but to show that she has very... She has excellent strengths and weaknesses, so she's a fully-formed character, three-dimensional, but I'm honestly really looking forward to seeing Grace in the future films of this franchise. And choice directly relates Grace and Ilsa. Obviously... Ilsa makes the choice to try and protect Grace and fights Gabriel in Venice over a canal and she loses the fight and dies. It was her choice to do that because they both know that Ethan had to choose between one of them to survive. And Ilsa made the choice to risk her life to pr- protect Grace and ended up dying. A huge twist in the film because they set it up with the twist that did Ilsa really die in the desert? I didn't think she died the first time. I was waiting for like the reveal where yeah. she was okay. But I think that was a great scene and, and a little thing to do because it threw us off the scent that maybe she's going to die at some point. Like this, After that, I was like, there's no way Ilsa died. Yeah, she's <laughs> part of the crew, yeah. So that was a tragic twist to see Ilsa Faust die in Venice. In, well, she died. In, she in, It was shocking. Yeah, and Ethan yeah. didn't get to say goodbye to her or save her at the same yeah. time. But, but Grace works so well as a character. Let's talk about why. Obviously, like you said, the amazing chemistry Haley Atwell has with Tom is intense. It's palpable. I think you could argue even it's better chemistry than he had with Rebecca Ferguson, which they had great chemistry, but this is just magnetic. They just like work so well in scenes together. Grace is an expert thief and pickpocket, and she's extremely charismatic. However, what she does that's so terrific for plot, especially for Ethan Hawks, Ethan Hunt's plot, <laughs> not, not Handsome, Handsome Hawk, Hawk. <laughs> is Grace creates constant conflict for Ethan to resolve, constantly running away, which causes Ethan to have to chase her everywhere, which is great for plot and great for your characters to keep moving forward. And like you said, she has her specific s- skill set, but she's not incredible at everything. She can't drive for the life first. She's terrified of driving the situations, but... Like every member who joins the IMF. Benji went through this. I'm sure Ethan went through this too. Luther as well. If you're in the field, you have to be put in these dangerous situations, life-threatening situations where you could die any second. We saw this with Benji in three and four. And and she's not a trained agent. She's not a trained yeah. agent. Benji, his first time in the field, he was terrified. Yeah. He's so scared of everything. But then you see Grace. She's great at so many things. But also... She's terrified to drive in this, where she doesn't want to die. She gets in that car accident. It's real. This is real life. I'm in a highly dangerous situation. People all around the world are trying to kill me now. Governments, I'm on their radar. And then specifically the train carriage sequence, where she has to dr- jump across while they're hanging from the cliff. So she doesn't get hit by the piano. She's terrified to do it, but she eventually does it. You can see that every IMF agent has probably gone through these similar situations. That's why Ethan's so cool under pressure. That's why Ilsa, even though she's MI6, is so cool under pressure. Because they've been there, done that. We've seen it before with all these characters, especially Benji as well. Now we're seeing Grace go through it. So it's great to have someone, like you said, that's not... The greatest at everything that could possibly be done. Someone who has weaknesses and strengths and watching them build their strengths on screen for character development is the best way to connect with somebody. Yeah, I mean, going forward, I'm sure she's going to be very confident. I, my favorite part was when, after Ethan crashed through the train, which was one of my favorite parts. It was so funny. Um, and then he goes, are you okay? Because she just went through it. She almost got shot. She's had guns on her. She's she's just a pickpocket, you she's know? A per- she's a person. Yeah, she's just, thief. A, she's just a pickpocket. She's not, she's not a... The high-stakes espionage, fucking world stakes kind of situation. Probably never had a gun on her before. Yeah, so... And then she... Haley Atwell just performed beautifully where she was trying to keep her composure. Then she just, like, broke down for, like, ten seconds. You know what I mean? She just let her emotions out. And then she gathered herself and put herself together. I thought that was a great moment for the character. And and Haley Atwell is extremely talented. She's so good. Um, She does the emotions. She does the action really well. Um, She's just an excellent dynamic actor. And like I said, I can't wait to see her going forward. And then I thought Palm did such a great job. She had very few lines because it, this movie it was very James Bondy. And one of the archetypes of a James Bond movie, most of them is to have the the nameless assassin. She's, she's her name's Paris, but like in terms of like they barely say anything. And it's a, it's a wonderful archetype for the story and for that kind of film. And they threw her into this film. And she was just really, really magnetic on screen. I liked the style. They gave her a lot of personality. She's wearing this wild makeup in Venice. She's wearing really eclectic outfits. So it's not like the typical kind of, typical kind of mercenary we see on screen. But then also, once she's in a situation, she dominates it. Whether it be um, car chases, whether it be gunfighting, whether it be hand-to-hand combat, She was so capable, so Like such a fearsome member of this crew of mercenaries that whenever she was on screen, you're like, she's going to fuck someone up. And I really loved it. She was like one of my favorite parts of the film by far. And she was also hired by the Entity, just like Gabriel. However, as the Entity predicted, and Gabriel was told, she was going to betray them at some point, and she does when she saves Ethan, because Ethan spares her life in that great Venice... An alley fight, which is awesome, and I can't wait to get to all these sequences. But you know, I think this is a character that will survive this movie. I think she's going to live because she ends ambiguous where uh, Degas, Degas finds a pulse, and she's even though she has that knife wound, she incredible. Didn't pull it out. She didn't pull it out incredible when she saves Ethan and uh, Grace together of hanging yeah. from that that train sequence. Which I can't wait to talk about as well. But before we get to intermission, I want to talk about stunts. Now, Christopher McQuarrie was quoted saying, The challenge normally when you're shooting an action movie is that you're always trying to hide the fact that it's a stuntman and not an actor. However, in Mission Impossible, it's the opposite. You're trying to show that it's Tom and not a stuntman. Somehow, they upped the ante. I mean, a list of my favorite Tom stunts in this movie. Of course, everyone else is doing some great stunt work. Haley Atwell, off the chain, like, terrific stuff, as well as a lot of other characters. Palm, terrific, too. But Tom's stunts include... That horse chase sequence in the desert, which was excellent—not just chasing on horseback, but also having the horse laying down and standing upright while on the horse's back—that's not easy to do. But if you have a horse that can lay down and stand up, and train it to do that, to do that, you are making bank in Hollywood. I will tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> They're doing it a lot. It's yeah. not easy to train a horse to do that. Now, also, we have the incredible Rome motorcycle chase, as well as Tom driving the police car chase, as well as Tom driving the Fiat one-handed chase, which is. I can't wait to talk about that a little more in depth, which is exceptional. The club fight scene was great. We got a lot more hand-to-hand combat, which I'm really liking seeing Ethan do. We didn't get a ton of it the first four Mission Impossible movies, but six and seven, we're getting elbows and fists like crazy with, with Ethan Hunt. That great jump over the that club railing was excellent. Oh, yeah, yeah. That yeah, was yeah. like 15 feet probably. Yeah. That dirt biking, not just the jump, but getting to the top of the mountain, he is cruising all over this place, and then obviously – riding the dirt bike off the cliff, which led into a base jump to get away from the cliff safely to then parachute. Absolutely insane. And the train fight sequence on top of yeah. the train. And some of the first photos ever released of behind the scenes on set were photos of Tom Cruise and S.I. Morales on top of that train really fighting. And there was like passing by, passing trains and people waving at them. Like they were really doing that. The train cliff Especially sequence. after just watching a movie. With the train sequence, Indiana Jones 5, that was all CGI and blue screen. It was so refreshing to see this, and you can really tell the difference. Absolutely. And then the train cliff sequence was, oh, my God, sensational. Absolutely sensational. Almost comical the obstacle course. how crazy yeah. it was. And then the speeder parachuting at the end to basically cap off his some incredible sprinkles. stunts. Yeah, just <laughs> some sprinkles on this massive cake. <laughs> it's a little salt, salt pay right and there. And I'm sure I left some out, but those were kind of like the main ones, I would say, from the movie that were so incredible And to watch. so much running. There's so So much, (laughs) not just running, sprinting. He is sprinting his ass off in this movie. He is, he is. (laughs) It's fantastic. (laughs) But I really love that desert sequence. That was awesome. It It was was. really unexpected. It was some great gunfighting sequences that we hadn't really seen too much, like that close quarters, um, trying to clear rooms and buildings. And it was really propulsive, really well done. I love the location of these buildings, these small structures and houses and sand has just overfilled them because i've seen them in those kinds of images and photos of like national geographic and stuff i feel like the team behind these movies they'll they'll pull from so many sources and be like what if we do a sequence here how can we make that work and they weave it into the story and write it in a certain way where they can make it make sense and i really love that sequence now and, and obviously john wick did the desert sequence as well they did that in morocco though and that was very much like Lawrence of Arabia, but we one of our criticisms with John Wick was how short that sequence was in the desert. More, my favorite part of the movie, maybe, as well, Yeah, it was up there for me, and it was really only a couple of minutes. Whereas this sequence, it was nice. It was a good fifteen minutes, and it was really dynamic and. It had its own little story. So I really loved how, how long that sequence was too. And it was a great change of pace for the franchise. They shot that in Abu Dhabi. And they actually weren't planning on even doing this desert sequence in Abu Dhabi until they went to the airport in Abu Dhabi to film that entire airport sequence. Uh-huh. Then Chris McQuarrie kind of discovered the desert there as well. And that's where they decided to do that sequence of Ilsa hiding out from the governments. Oh, nice. Yeah. We're, we're here. Why not? <laughs> yeah. And I, I loved the desert sequence because... It's freaking Ethan Hunt with an AK-47 on a horse. Oh my god, that (laughs) was cool. Like, we never seen really anything like that from Ethan Hunt before. Just, like, going through doors, clearing rooms, messing up bad guys with handguns and AK-47s. Yeah, that's a great point. And it kind of, like, makes you think about his past. Before he was an IMF agent, he maybe special ops, some kind of army service division, um, probably maybe even, like, an assassin or something. So it makes you think about that, about his past and what he used to do before he was... Saving the world. And then Ilsa with the uh, sniper rifle and eye patch. Now she's wearing an eye patch because Rebecca Ferguson cannot wink. She cannot close one eye at a time. Wow, so, uh, really? So they're filming the scene without the eye patch and as she was telling an interviewer, Chris uh, is like, okay great, we got the shot. Now close one eye. And she's like doing a weird <laughs> face. He's like, okay, close one eye. And she's, she realized she can't wink. She cannot close one <laughs> she eye. She can't just close an eye? She can't just close. A lot of people actually have that. They can't close one eye at a time, and keep one open. Well, actually, hold on, I'm trying it now. It's hard, it's tough for my right eye, but I can do it, but it's shaking. It's easy peasy, lemon squeezy for me, man. I can do it for my left eye, no problem, but yeah, the right eye. Some people, they have problems working and closing one eye at the same time. Clearly, one of your eyes, you can barely see it. Yeah, I can see it, it's like half open. No, it's closed, but it's shaking. Mine's fine. So I was gonna say, I was like, this, the eye patch isn't really tactically correct, is it? Not tactically, but it still looks cool. It looks great. So yeah. McCoy's like, all right, we need to get someone got an eye patch, can <laughs> someone get an eye patch, please? So that's why Ilsa's wearing an eye patch in the sniper sequence, because she cannot wink. Super funny, but also her hand to hand combat and just marksmanship yeah. is Ilsa's awesome. It's and excellent. then the sword fight in Venice is great. It's fantastic. so badass, but I just I love the desert sequence. It's so cool. And mm-hmm. even though we had another sandstorm, it's like calling back to Rogue Nation. I'm like, yeah. I don't give a fuck. Whatever, <laughs> Whatever. It's fun. It's fun. It was that like Ghost Protocol or Rogue Nation? It was Ghost Protocol. Sorry, but, the, the Andrew Dubai Stand one. Yeah, so it was the one Ghost before Protocol McCoy Number four. Maine. Yeah. Number four. So that was a great sequence. How about... We jump to our intermission. Sounds good. And then we'll get back into Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Now, before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost podcast is to leave those five-star reviews on Spotify and Apple, a.k.a. iTunes. We broke 2,000 on Spotify. Oh, yeah, 2,000, oh my baby. Oh, God. We got to get those numbers up on Apple, though. We're at, like, 17 1,800 on Apple. We need 2,000 Let's on Apple. Let's try to get 2,000 on Apple. Apple's cool because you can also leave a five-star review written review. And also, if you don't use iTunes, all you need is an email address to sign up to just leave that review. So that'd be really great. Thank you so much to everyone who's done it already. Also... Becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast is another great way to support our show. We have five different tiers of membership at $2, $5, $10, $25, and $100 tier. Every single tier, no matter if you're paying 2 or $100, has access to our weekly chat, which is exclusively on Patreon every Wednesday now. We moved it from the main show to Patreon only. We want to get some more bonus content over there, as well as a weekly bonus episode of the show tier gets you access to our Discord every month. You can access that, and it's so fun. We have watch parties and chat with you all the time. Great community on there. Over 100 people are chatting it up every single day. $25 gets you a custom episode, which is a great perk. We also get free merch and stickers and stuff like that. And then that $100 tier, it's the granddaddy tier. You get so many perks as well as a private watch party. You get to come on the show after three months of being in this tier, plus many other great perks. Thanks so much for everyone who is a patron And we appreciate the support so, so much. And this episode, of course, is sponsored by our great friends at MoviePosters.com. Be sure to use our promo code RAIDERS10 to get up to 10% off your order today. They have a huge selection of pretty much every movie and TV show imaginable in their huge poster library. MoviePosters.com is also doing a free movie poster giveaway in this episode. Now, to enter this contest, all you have to do is... Leave us a five-star review and rating on Apple Podcast. Take a screenshot of that review and then DM it to us on Instagram. If you've already left us an Apple review, thank you so much. You can just pop that up and then screenshot it and send it to us and that will enter you into the contest as well. So it's not only for new Apple reviews. If you don't have iTunes or an Apple podcasting account, all you have to do is sign up with an email and then you're good to go. We will select a winner next week. Good luck, everyone. Thanks again to MoviePosters.com for doing this contest for us. All right, let's get into the intermission. Start with the movie quotes competition. You ready, Anthony? Ready. All right. Operation Downfall is going to be the largest mechanized invasion in the history of mankind. We will be victorious. We fight. That's what we do. Operation Downfall. Editor tomorrow? Nice. Correcto mundo. Hell yeah, correcto mundo. Tom Cruise's character Cage says that. I believe when he's on TV. I've been. Mean, uh, I'm meaning to watch that soon because I fucking love it. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, great score. All right, here's my quote: Money won is twice as sweet as money earned. Hmm, that's a good quote. Money won is twice as good as money. Say it one more time. Money won is twice as sweet as money earned. Like, my instincts are saying it's a poker movie, but also not. Or a gambling movie. <sighs> I don't know. Color of money. Color of money. <laughs> should've went with <from> my gut. <laughs> yeah, you should've. You were close. I fucking love that movie. Alright, guess this movie release year. The Usual Suspects. 1991. 1996. Oh, damn. Shit. Guess this movie release here. The Color of Money. Oh, yes. 1987. No, 1986. 86. Yes. Yeah, nice. 1986. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> Too bad you got the quote wrong. <laughs> All right. This next one's a tough one. You ready? But I think I think you can pull it off. <laughs> Thanks for believing in me. <laughs> you're, you're pretty good at IMDb stuff. Now, Sometimes. Can you name 5 movies that Christopher McQuarrie has written outside of the Mission Impossible franchise? Fuck. Outside of Mission Impossible franchise. Mm-hmm. This is a co-credit count? Yeah, any any okay. kind of writing. Um so Usual Suspects, one. He um had a writing credit on Edge of Tomorrow. Two. Uh he had writing credit on Top Gun Maverick. Three. <clears throat> Jack Reacher. Four um there's a there's a bunch in the 90s too i just can't fucking think of them um no it is not no just the user suspects <laughs> yeah they did a couple tv shows oh okay um one <sighs> well, hold on let me sec let me let me rack my brain real quick one second one second oh he did write a movie that brian singer directed in 1993 i was gonna say apt pupil no 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 i'm um, not apt pupil. i take that back not apt pupil <laughs> Um, McQuarrie, 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 Still like five. It's crazy. He's got a lot of credits. Yeah. Well, he's a screenwriter first, so I'll give you another Tom Cruise movie. All right, it's American Made. Then nope. Oh no, it's um, it's not American Made. I take that back. <laughs> Fuck. Two other Tom Cruise movies. It's the actually. other Jack Reacher movie co credit. No. Fuck. <laughs> Um, two other Tom Cruise movies outside of the Mission Impossible. Franchise wait, what did he do? This century. What did he do with Tom? Other than Reacher before? Fucking a, God fucking damn. It. God, come on, man, you got this. Let me know when you give up, though. It's not night and day. Nope, it's not that. <laughs> I don't know. We have the Mummy. Oh shit then also another Tom Cruise movie Valkyrie. Oh. The Way of the Gun he wrote, Persons Unknown, The Tourist, and Jack the Giant Slayer. Oh, yeah, Brian Singer back to back to back. With Brian Singer, he wrote Public Access with which Brian Singer directed back in 1993. All right. Yeah, that's a lot of Brian Singer movies he's written. He wrote an episode of NYPD Blue in 1994 as well. And Valkyrie's good. That's Val- yeah, pretty good. Yeah, Valkyrie's good. I like that movie. <clears throat> the only thing that doesn't work with Valkyrie is everybody uses their own accents. Yeah. All the actors. It's, uh, when you accept it, it's fine. No, no. it's If they all do, the British should be fine. But they all do their own accents. Like yeah, I mean, Tom does an American accent, then you get the Brits doing British accents and the Germans doing German. Like Sergio it's, Leone it's movie. It's weird. <laughs> you get used to it. Okay. Here's my question. What is the name of Tom Cruise's character in The Color of Money? Fuck. Oh, man. That is a good question. So we have Fast Eddie. He mm-hmm. wears it on a t-shirt. What's it say? It's, it's said so many times. I know. I don't know. Vincent. Vincent's. Vincent. Vincent. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, do we have any, uh, any Raider haters? We got some Raider haters. Raider. Haters of the Ra- Lost Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> Alright, we got... This is a good one, ready? So Johnny Ray wrote, "Love the episode on Succession, but as a proud Canadian, I must unsubscribe as there is only one Hudson Bay. It's in Canada." <laughs> <laughs> we were arguing it's the Hudson River, the Hudson River. Yeah, and he said he said <laughs> a New York a, City. He literally sent a photo of the Hudson Bay. <laughs> a, go- it's, a, it's a satellite image of the Hudson yeah, Bay. It's above Montreal. <laughs> <laughs> we were way off. <laughs> That's good. McCrano wrote Nolan no Nolan Nuke unsubscribed <laughs> when I made a clip about it not being a real Nuke. Um we got like the worst hater of our like ever, a couple of the worst haters ever. Um on a a clip I we, I just made a clip about box office and how that new film Sound of Freedom topped Indy Indiana Jones when it came out. And we got a lot of hate on that, like so much hate. Uh, we ended up deleting a bunch, but there was a couple that were just so so bad hold on let me pull up the screenshot i'll read it to you we have an insanely bad one-star review on apple podcast oh, what is it i don't know who you pissed off anthony but it says <laughs> it's me it's one star it says red flags I thought it was your typical rewatch pod at first, but it doesn't take to- take long to realize they're racist, sexist pigs. If you're a woman or POC, steer clear. As a podcast, it's one of the weaker, they're robotically read scripts. In fact, back and forth and their takes are problematic, to put it lightly. Holy crap. What what did we do to deserve that? Honestly, we should never even, we shouldn't have. I shouldn't have made that clip about Sound of Freedom. I guess that's it. That's it. Because that's basically what the people in our hate comments said about on the clip on tiktok whoa that's crazy you know people always like it it, is you have to walk this fine line unfortunately and i mean (laughs) all we did was report report the box office i was i questioned posting it but i was like i mean it's just the box office should we take it down i think we should take it down yeah probably i mean all all we did was say the box office we do it every sunday yeah box office report yeah so but i mean that's terrible that's a terrible thing to say that is a terrible thing to say. And, you know, it's, it's, it makes you sad. Well, it's tough because now it's at the top of the feed of yeah, uh, so Apple if anyone, reviews. I mean, if anyone can leave an Apple review ato- so it can, like, get, get, get buried. Because you can't delete Apple reviews. Yeah, that's, that's that's the thing with Apple reviews. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm sure most people... I'm positive most people are very level-headed people. So if they see that, they're like, I don't know about this. They, <laughs> this comment seems a little wild. Um... But the, th- the problem is we have no idea who that is, so we can't block them. We can't ever prevent them from uh, commenting again or leaving another bad review. So unfortunately, that's the way it is. This is why we're there are things that we don't cover and don't even talk about because there are people out there that can't handle it, and we get that kind of response. So it's it's very sad, and it's 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 tough to be called things like that on the internet. It, is, it stinks, and, especially when you can't rebuttal and you can't. Yeah, you have no power. You don't know who they are. You can't respond yeah. with a review. You don't know who they are, where they are. You don't know why they said it, and because we do a really good job of having a very clean show, we just want to enjoy and entertain you and talk. about – All we do is talk about movies. Yeah. Sorry, sorry that some other people make movies that you don't like. I don't know. I didn't even know what that movie was until we were talking about it at the box office. Same. So I mean, it exists. Sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna take that video down. Yeah, probably take it down it before worse. it gets worse. But if anyone could leave us <laughs> an, an Apple review where you. Write something nice to yeah. to get it, that down. because you yeah. can't get rid of that. It's it's just you know it sucks being called things like that. Um, it's very dis- it's very disheartening. It's very especially because it's our living. Yeah, it's our living. But know? I mean, I think we we pride ourselves in trying to be, you know, as as good people as we can, and as decent human beings as possible. But to think that like, you know, people look at you and still say that about you, it's just it's just it's really it's really. It can be difficult to deal with. But we have so many five-star reviews that people write incredible things. So Uh help us get that thing bumped down so that it's off the feed. (laughs) Jesus (laughs) Christ. (laughs) Fucking internet, man. Oh, man, the internet. All right, let's... uh, What a bummer. (laughs) (laughs) I just saw it just now as I pulled up the reviews. Damn. How about I read a a five-star review that's nice? That'd be nice. From Dawson Kimball, Amazing Movie Podcast. A really good movie podcast. You can really tell they love movies. Give amazing movie information. Always a pleasure to listen to but there is surely only one. No way there's two people. So unsubscribe. <laughs> you saw right through it. It is only one. <laughs> Thanks Dawson for the review and the kind words. Appreciate it. At least someone else knows that Anthony's a clone. Hello, <laughs> Laura. Um, anyways, what do you got for a <laughs> streamer recommendation this week? Um, I just watched Gladiator last night. Nice. So it's on Amazon Prime. So get on that. That's great. I watched Amelie. Last night, actually, which it's not for free anywhere, but I still recommend checking it out. It's one of my favorite French films. Mm-hmm. It's very much a fairy tale, love story, whimsical, magical adventure, incredible character. Aww. I love it. It's on Max. Sorry, Gladiator's on Max. is on Max. Yeah. That's right. Shall we get back into Mission Impossible? Let's do it. Now, actually, I can tie I choose to accept something that you were just talking about before entering the intermission, where you talked about Ethan's past. What was he before he was an IMF agent? We don't know, but we're getting a little tease of the past with Gabriel. Gabriel is somebody he knew. Somebody who was a part of, we can assume, a mission where someone close to Ethan died. This obviously had to have happened before the events of the first film, Mission Impossible. But someone, a woman in Ethan's past who he probably worked with and got close to died. And we can assume that Gabriel may have been responsible or maybe Ethan was responsible which is why Gabriel talks to both women that way, both Grace and Ilsa, saying, "He's you just get close to him, he lets you die. He lets you down. Like, you're both going to die because of Ethan Hunt. Because he cares about you. He always lets the people he cares about down. And so we're getting connections to this failed mission of his past before the IMF, connecting it to Gabriel, which connects it to the entity, which makes this incredibly personal for Ethan. It's... You know, oftentimes with the uh, sequels and franchises, especially this long-running, uh, they end up losing character depth or good character development or they're just going too outrageous and over the top, but I think one of the strengths of the Mission Impossible series, it comes down to the writing and Christopher McQuarrie is a wonderful writer, but he's constantly adding more they're constantly adding more layers to the cast they have. They're constantly making you invest more in the characters as well. And nothing seems cheap. Nothing seems too out of place. And this is another example of uh, embracing the character more so than we ever have before. And yes, the stunts are always so much fun, and the action scenes are insane. But you know, it's really ultimately it's Ethan Hunt and Tom Cruise's character that we all love and what we all come back for. And to this day, even with this new entry number seven, I still love the character as much as I always have. And that's it's the strength to the franchise that. I can't think of another franchise outside of Harry Potter, obviously, because there are dense novels written before the films where the characters are still getting so much character treatment um, and development from the writers. I agree. That's great. Now, we talked about the desert sequence, and then the rest of the film, there are basically four main sequences that we have the airport sequence in Abu Dhabi, we have the Rome sequence, the Venice sequence, and then the train sequence in the third act of the film. I say let's just break these down and go over <laughs> them because they're just th- the show-stopping events, each one. But they, that's the movie right there, basically, is these four major sequences. The airport sequence is where Ethan and the IMF team are tracking a guy who has half of the key after Ethan got half the key from Ilsa. And what their goal is, not just to obtain that other half of the key, but they're trying to find out who the buyer is where the buyer is located, as well as what the key unlocks. So they are basically going to try to give the guy the full key, go through with purchasing the key from them, and then they'll be able to track that guy wherever he goes to find the source, as well as the mystery of what it unlocks. But the the airport sequence is great because they're being followed, but also... Luther is protecting him on security feeds by basically doing what the entity does to Gabriel, kind of making Ethan invisible to an extent, whereas in real time the entity is able to erase Gabriel's existence from security feeds and everything, basically making him a living ghost in a lot of ways because everything's so digital. Yeah, it is so well done. And I love the the augmented reality we forgot to mention is also used really well with the sunglasses and augmented reality. Is becoming a part of our lives as, as well, and so there's so many brilliant pieces of technology used in this film that are believable for the near future, but that are also currently in our homes in some capacity for some people. So I thought the augmented reality was a great addition, and the airport sequence, even though it's lacking on action, doesn't mean it's very doesn't mean it's not exciting and very thrilling and suspenseful. And then obviously we get Haley Atwell's Grace character involved, and she just add so much fun and charisma to the sequence, and this is a funnier sequence because we get Briggs's character as well pulling the cheeks of all the people that uh, <laughs> <laughs> that Luther's thrown off the scent. I always, I thought that was hysterical, and and it was a fun tactic by the team to use their own version of AI against the authorities that are chasing them down, and then it ends in it ends in some great comedy in the ultimate finale of. Basically, Grace getting the upper hand over Ethan, which was fantastic. Like, she she beat him in the sequence. Eventually, because he's so experienced and has so many connections, he's able to get her picked up in Italy immediately and be there as her attorney, which is so funny. But I like how in the sequence she got the better of Ethan Hunt. She gets the better of him multiple times, specifically with getting the key and constantly being on the run. Because she knows having a piece of the key is the only thing that will basically keep her alive at this point. Because she has no idea really what she's gotten herself into. And also a major part of this airport sequence is not is he only only are they being chased by multiple people, but also the nuclear bomb that's in a suitcase that's in a mysterious package that got flagged that Benji and Luther are trying to track down while not letting Ethan know what's going on. And Benji's tracking this bag inside of the giant area where all bags and airports go and through sorting. And he finds a nuclear device. He's trying to disarm it with all these riddles. I think that IMF in this franchise, they know what people are into and they know what works. I think that's why, you know, John Wick and Mission Impossible, they kind of, cop- not copy, but they, kind of inf- they influence each other yeah. with, with things as well as, I think, with the riddles people are really into the riddler and the the batman i think they, <laughs> i think they added that in because they like people cyphers. they were really into yeah the cyphers the riddles from the that's my thought of the batman how can we incorporate something from the batman into this how can we incorporate something from john wick into this i would say i wouldn't say they're trying to pull from the, what they did with the batman i would say they're trying to do something different from a countdown Just a normal countdown true you're trying to keep it fresh so okay we have a countdown but how we make it more interesting and make it more personal yeah exactly which they do and then obviously fortunately benji's able to figure it out but then it opens up and there's nothing inside. But I love when they finally tell Ethan that like, oh yeah, so there's a nuclear device and it's going off in 20 seconds. He's like, a nuclear bomb is something you definitely tell me about. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh shit, I'm gonna die? (laughs) What's the point of all this? But this airport sequence was awesome. This airport's beautiful. I'm sure it's probably not that old. Gorgeous, massive area. As well as I thought that Ethan was gonna like get on the plane that Grace had just boarded somehow when he like left the airport, and he's running yeah. off the roof. But it was just a cool shot of him on top of the airport in Abu Dhabi, sprinting his ass off. And it was it was a wonderful reveal when she we cut, when the next scene we cut back to her is she's she's been arrested in Rome and she's speaking to um, some high high ranking officers, and they're like your, wait, your lawyer's waiting for you. And then she walks into the the library, whatever it was, and it's, it's Ethan nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Wearing glasses, like, act like a lawyer. I thought it was great. It was she, so funny. She's really resourceful and clever because she'll use whatever she can to get out of a specific situation. So when she's caught and they're going through all these passports that you have, she's, like, playing the innocent, I'm just, like, this cute girl. I'm, I'm a teacher. I'm, like, I'm not even supposed to be here. I don't know what's happening routine, which clearly is a show. But I, I love the sequence because then this leads to this incredible Rome, Rome sequence where she escapes again from Ethan, and she's on a chase. She gets inside the police car, but then mayhem ensues where I she, love, she crashes it so she's much. She's crashing it all over the place. Yeah. She's just And I love how Ethan's following the trail of carnage <laughs> to find Grace and where she is. It was but funny. then big accident, but then we have the showdown between the Briggs, who's uh, CIA, right? Yeah. Briggs and Dagas are CIA. They're chasing Ethan as well as as Paris and her henchmen chasing them, as well as the Roman police are chasing everyone. So it's like a three-person chase for Grace and Ethan. And I love this whole entire sequence. Drifting around uh, Rome, as well as then getting to the Fiat, was awesome as well, because not only are they handcuffed, and they're kind of switching who's driving. But the Fiat, the reveal, because... Uh Corey puts a f- like a Ferrari in the foreground, yeah. <laughs> or like a Lamborghini, Ethan's like hitting the key to that. <laughs> and then the Fiat pulls out behind that out of nowhere. You're like, oh shit, this is it. Both does Fiat still own Ferrari, or no? I think a German company bought it. I'm Not sure, but they're actually connected. Yeah, Fiats and Ferraris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of internal components. We, we, you've seen Ford versus Ferrari. We know you've seen it. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> talking about Ford versus Ferrari. <laughs> talking about internal components but the fiat was so funny because it's tiny it's compact and uh it's comical ethan was struggling at first with it it was a great little great great little adult joke it was so funny yeah because she he's like you know sometimes with these cars she's like it's okay no no keep going it's fine keep going it's fine is that what they say to you (laughs) i'm just (laughs) quoting the goddamn movie Uh anthony Quoting the goddamn movie, this guy. <laughs> it's fine, James. It's fine. It happens all the time. <laughs> Don't be embarrassed I it to be funny. <laughs> and then when she is behind the wheel, they flip down the Spanish steps, and then they reverse seats, yeah, yeah. and they're like, "How the fuck did this happen?" <laughs> and then they're doing the circles around the fountain in oh front of the God, Spanish so steps. Funny. It was hysterical. Yeah. It, it was really funny. The the physical humor, but infusing physical humor to a car in Paris in that gigantic armored vehicle just destroying everything was so fun as well. That She's, was Rome. Oh, I thought, I'm sorry. Paris. <laughs> oh, the character? The character. <laughs> she was having an absolute blast. I liked it. <laughs> yeah, the, the Rome sequence was awesome. and then, it, was, it was, especially after watching Fast X, and it was just CGI Rome and ridiculousness. There was plenty of real Rome, but they made Rome look yeah. bad. But this there was just so much fun. It was great. Yeah, and I mean, it's not easy to drift and drive a car, especially when you're one-handed, handcuffed to somebody, especially on these old cobblestone streets. Mm-hmm. Really in- incredibly difficult to do. So, I'm, so difficult. I think they did a great job doing this. I'm sure that Rome had to shut down a lot of tourism for the time being. But, I mean, they probably did filmed it in a, a low tourism c- c- uh, time of year, probably. And in the early mornings you know, and stuff, yeah. But, I yeah. mean, in the winter, nobody's there, really. Yeah, people are – yeah, not as many people are there. Yeah. And then the sequence ends with freaking Grace getting the upper hand on Ethan again, handcuffing him to the steering wheel. Oh, my God. She on a train track. kill them. Give him a paperclip. Favorite clip. I thought it was great. And then he just rips off the steering wheel. <laughs> I love how like he's not—he can't do everything. Yeah. He couldn't pick—he can't pick a lock and, in five uh, seconds. In five seconds, so he's just like fuck. It takes the steering wheel off. I thought it was great. It's true. The, you know, it's important for your hero to not be perfect, and not be completely capable in every situation. Yes, he got out of the situation, but barely. And he—he just—he couldn't even pick the lock. I loved it. Now let's set up the Venice sequence. So now we're going to Venice, and here. We're having a meeting between, set up by the White Widow, between Ethan, Grace. We have Ilsa there. This nightclub party that the entity set up. Gabriel's there as the voice of the entity and physical manifestation, basically, of the entity. And the Widow has half the key, and she's trying to figure out who to sell to. Do I sell to Gabriel and the entity to protect myself, or do I give it to Ethan Do I do what Ethan says and kill Gabriel right now instantly to try to end what's going on to save the world? What side do I choose, basically, as the White Widow? Also, Grace has the key as well. Yeah, Grace has has the other half. She slips into the Widow's brother's pocket. I love that sequence, yeah. Yeah. It was really good, and it was very tense, and it set up the stakes— Vanessa Kirby did a wonderful job. Vanessa Kirby, second half of this movie, has a lot to do, and she's basically playing two roles at at the third act of the film, when she's playing Grace, impersonating her. So It's like Bellatrix in Death yeah, and Hallows exactly. with Hermione. So uh, Vanessa Kirby, I like how she had a lot more to do in this film, and because she's a really fantastic, uh, talented actress, so I think the more screen time they can give her, the better. The brown contacts look great, because Haley Atwell has brown eyes, mm-hmm. Grace has brown eyes, so when she's... Um, Alana, she obviously has the brown eyes with that meeting with Kittredge, so I think it was a great job. And then you can really see she's so talented that she's literally a different person inside of this person as well as being a different person as well. So many persons in person. She did a great job getting on the mannerisms of Haley Atwell, I think. Yeah, I think so too, yeah. So And then the Venice sequence has a gr- multiple great chases in this nightclub, great fight sequence. Gabriel gets away, eventually. But Gabriel says, the key's gonna be brought to me. Mm-hmm. It already pre- the uh, The AI already predicted it. I'm just gonna wait for it to happen. And also, either Grace or Ilsa are going to die, and Ethan has to choose. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, Ilsa makes the choice. Ilsa makes the choice basically for herself. And I like how uh, because the the fight was great. First, the alley fight was fantastic with Paris, Ethan, and that other henchman. It was brutal, close quarters. Very very narrow space to work with. I thought they the camera work was fantastic and the choreography was so much fun. Yeah, they like the shaking yeah, they had with the camera. Exactly, was I loved it. It was brutal. Really, felt and then eventually, eventually sparing Paris' life, and he just like takes the pipe and bashes it into the wall right above her head. I love that. And then also, um, Ilsa versus Gabriel over the canal was really fantastic. Uh, I loved. She just pulls out the sword. I was like, this is fucking badass. And then her death was so unexpected. Uh, but as she started losing the fight, I'm like, oh, she's she she's dead. I was like, she's gonna die. And, and Gabriel does eventually kill her. It was very emotional. And Ethan not being able to save her. Uh, usually he's able to save everyone. He's usually sa- able to save the day. But with Ilsa, with the person he, he loves, he lost her. And he wasn't even there to say goodbye to her, which is really sad. It was very emotional. It was it was the most emotional moment in, in the entire franchise so far, I would say. I, I think so as well. And not only that, he, he would have lost Grace if Ilsa didn't show up because he was no there's no way he was gonna make it in time to save Grace either. Who lost that fight to Gabriel, put up a great effort with both those uh both those knives that she slipped from that ca- the countertop at the nightclub, right? Yeah, she grabbed them from the bar. Those two s- Counter, the switchblades. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just they're just chilling. <laughs> Whose switchblades were they? Were they're they Gabriel's? Gabriel's. That's his. Those are his weapons of choice. That's he right. likes the two blades. Those things are huge. That was a great fight as well, but because the entity rerouted Ethan so far away from that specific bridge, there's no way he could have saved either of it's them. It's hard r- roaming through Venice. Yeah, let alone <laughs> having Benji telling you yeah. wrong directions. <laughs> AI Benji telling you wrong directions. Yeah, it's it's a maze. And so basically, this leads to them giving. Grace, that choice. And out of guilt of Ilsa's death, she decides to work with them. She's not going to run anymore. And that was such a tragic and traumatic sequence. And she feels guilty for Ilsa's death that she chose. But Luther explains to her, like, she chose that. She didn't, you didn't make her do it. She chose to fight Gabriel. So the the lie, it's a really great line. She says, she, uh, Grace says she's dead because of me. And Luther says, no, you're alive because of her. And she made that choice. It was a great line. So now she's going to join hesitantly... She's going to join. And I love they do like the sequence where they have the the mask being made of Alana, and then I love when they do this in Mission Impossible. Like this is gonna be the plan. It's gonna be great. You're gonna do this. You're gonna do that. And then it cuts back to Grace. Like what the fuck are you talking about? We're gonna do what? <laughs> yeah, like they do the whole thing and he jumps off the train successfully. I'm going it... need a little more details here. <laughs> Simon Pegg's like, yeah, that was always just getting. Those the way. are yeah, those are important. <laughs> it, it harkens back to the bathroom fight when uh cav when cavil's character uh is like chance you, you or he's like faith he's like you want to take faith or whatever uh and she's like you're new <laughs> <laughs> it's very edgar wright yeah it is yeah you're that right. kind of sequence yeah, it's a lot of fun I like agree. a little fake foreshadow of how everything could go right but never does mm-hmm. but grace's game she's gonna impersonate alana to set up to go to this deal with the buyer who ends up being kittredge from the CIA to get the keys from Alana for $100 million. Some big cheddar. But the kicker is the mask-making machine malfunctions while they're making Alana's brother's mask for Ethan, so she has to go by herself on this train to impersonate Alana and take her out and then impersonate her afterwards, while Ethan has to somehow figure out a way to get on the Orient Express, which is going who knows how many miles per hour, on this train track in the middle of it's nowhere. It's kilometers per hour kilometers out kilometers per okay? hour somehow get on this on this on this train, which they coordinate and figure out a way to do it. However, Gabriel has sped the train up. He's eliminated any ability to stop the train, so he misses his rendezvous point to gain access to jumping on the train and yeah, they have what, to figure yeah, out what to do. It was supposed to slow down at a long turn, but just kept going faster. So I love what Ethan's like. I missed the trade. Benji's like, how? <laughs> I, said, I don't know. I missed it. And Benji's like, I'm under. I'm under a lot of pressure here. <laughs> yeah. So I love how Benji's just like telling him a reroute. And Ethan's like, when am I gonna start going downhill? He's like, oh, you'll, you'll go downhill eventually. Eventually, <laughs> eventually, he gets to the top of the cliff, and he's like, you want me to do what? He's like, you got a parachute. Just figure it out. He's like, <laughs> well, what do you expect me to do? He's like. Relax, I'm under a lot of pressure here right now. <laughs> and it comes to Ethan at the top of the cliff and Benji's in a self-driving car. So funny. <laughs> so funny. This is, I think, the funniest MI. It had some really great humor, absolutely. Benji was hysterical, as yeah. always, in it. So many great lines. Mm-hmm. But um, he has to figure it out. He jumps off this goddamn cliff. And then eventually we learn that Grace, at first she decides, oh, I can make a play and put the money into my bank account, the $100 million, and I can also make a deal with the CIA to to protect me, but then she makes the moral choice and declines the money and decides to forego the deal and to just give the key into the right hands without going taking the money. So she makes the moral choice, showcasing that she deserves to be part of this crew and she has uh, the moral fiber to be a member of the IMF, which and I think is important. And she tricks Kittredge into thinking he has the keys yeah. and then pickpockets him and then leaves the compartments. Now going back to the jump, this was maybe my favorite moment of the film something i've been anticipating for like a year to see ever since those set photos came out last year of him jumping off this massive ramp parachuting free falling who knows how high and they set it up so well the anticipation of him driving uphill for like a five-minute sequence cross-cutting with the train what's happening there and then when he finally did it and he was riding and jumps off the cliff on the bike the entire theater was so dead silent. I've never seen, I've never felt, an entire massive room of people hold their breath at the same time. But everyone held their breath. It was so silent. You and, could hear a pin drop. And I loved how they went no music, just a little wind here and there. So silent. And, and it was it, long. It was incredible. It was yeah, like, he dropped for a good like seven seconds. He was dropping. It was insane. And then obviously cutting to him free falling, base jumping, basically get away from the mountain to safely open up the parachute and I love how they don't show him afterwards until crashing into the window Mm -hmm. to save grace that was the first thing they filmed was it really yeah he's I saw an interview he said that's the first shot we did because we were like hey if I'm gonna die at least we don't have to waste making a movie (laughs) (laughs) if I survive we can make the movie (laughs) that's that's pretty funny that's pretty, logically yeah. like the, the yeah, right thing yeah then you to have do. to waste everybody's money and time if yeah. you're dead Paramount was probably <laughs> like, can you do like the most dangerous thing first before we spend 200 million dollars <laughs> but um and they also did it six or seven times too I think they did it um, seven times jump said. yeah seven times insane One, I think honestly I think my favorite part was when he crashed through the train it was so great because in my head so Grace is under uh, she's under gunpoint and then she's about to get shot She's about to get yeah. shot and i was like in my head i was like imagine if ethan just crashed through the window and then he did and i was like oh my god that's amazing so you're like where's ethan is he gonna come from the roof is he gonna land on top and like come through But the he made the problem he promised her he'd be there i yeah. was like he i was like he's gonna show up right now he's gonna fucking burst through it was fucking fantastic. But I love how he doesn't even know what part of the train he's yeah. in. He doesn't even know. He's, that, like, where he's like, oh am my god, I? It's Grace, are you okay? <laughs> hey, what did I just do? It was so funny. Because they also weren't showing him traveling to the train. You know what I mean? Yeah. They they once he exactly. got the shoot up, once they got the shoot up, they never we never showed him again. That shot was awesome. Yeah. When he pulled the parachute and Tom just went flying up in the air. Real in-camera shot. Oh that my was, god. That was freaking awesome. Insane. Dude. That was that was so cool. Fucking wild. And then this train sequence where Ethan has to go get the key from Gabriel on top of the train and eventually does. We learn later on after he defeats Gabriel. Gabriel thinks he has the key, but he swapped out that lighter, whatever that thing was called, that, that piece of technology, and Gabriel falls back into that trunk thinking he's won. And then Ethan tells the guys that, like, this train's gonna crash if we don't if you don't listen to me and do everything I say. Basically the opposite of what Kittredge said. Now he tasks Grace with trying to stop the train. She's like, How the hell am I supposed to do that? Yeah, I'll, figure it yeah. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. <laughs> Again, like, you must be new. <laughs> they kudos to Grace. She's this is her first IMF mission. She sticks it out. She tries to do it, but she can't. She gets yeah. there and, you know, Gabriel has sabotaged the train beyond repair. And basically, once Ethan gets up there, it's a they figure out they have to get the, they release the engine compartment up front. And so that goes for first, but then eventually the train compartments start to fall over the cliff, and them traveling through what's it five compartments? Yeah, I think five. Yeah, to get to safety, the kitchen one was the best. It was nuts. The dude. grease on the floor, the food—it was so well done. And you know, actually building all those sets, you can tell it's actually built. It's not just like CGI backgrounds. Obviously, the 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 cliff drop is—that's not really behind them, but like. The, they built all those compartments, and having the actors really hanging there, it just looked fantastic, and I loved this like fun obstacle course of this train that's just falling slowly and slowly, and then it gets to the point where they actually fail, and they don't make it, but then luckily a hand is reached out just in time by Paris and she saves them. It was really intense. I love how long it was. It felt like it was like 12 minutes. No music, all sound design. It was incredible. And what I also loved about it is it reminded me of Snowpiercer where we're seeing the different like social classes of the hierarchies of wealth In these train compartments, you know, with the engine room up front, and then the kitchens, and then the wealthiest people are at the front of the train, this, like, very formal place. We have a grand piano and everything. So I think they did a great job showcasing that as well. Oh, the piano. When the piano dropped, oh, my God. That was intense. We talked about that earlier. But this train sequence of traveling through the compartments while hanging from a cliff, it was intense because I think the the best movie that's done that as well, they they did it in Jurassic Jurassic Park 3, right? Where they're hanging from the train, Lost World, the Lost World, I believe, train sequence. I don't. Yeah, remember. there's a train that's like hanging. I can't remember. It's, I think it's Jurassic Park two or one. I think it's. I mean, two or three. I think it's the third one. Uh-huh. I can't remember. And then. Oh, uh, the Goldblum one. Yeah, yeah yeah that's number two with the daughter they're inside the train they have to uh-huh. get through okay i think they have to go through like two compartments I think, get, I think they have to go up one yeah i think i'm it's refreshing my memory so this isn't the first time we've seen dangling train compartments that people have to travel such up. a trope <laughs> classic trope but to do it, <laughs> what like, do they do in speed in speed it's, What's it's a bus it's a bus no I'm, nothing happened like that in speed I'm, there's something else i'm thinking there's a few other movies i can't think of right now where there are train compartments that you have to travel up yeah, while yeah, vertically yeah, hanging yeah. but to do it like five Compartments, never seen anything like this before. But also just going through the kitchen, that was, that was great. It was great. The oil, the grease everywhere. Oh my god! Because the the sequence was, it was so intense and comical at the same time. But like it was so intense, you couldn't laugh because mm-hmm. you were in shock and like, oh my god, are they gonna make it? But at the same time, I feel like on a rewatch, I'll be laughing at parts yeah, of it. Yeah, but it was it was really well done. And on top of that, the fight on top of the train between Gabriel and Ethan was great. The knife fight, harkening back to the original film, and that amazing speed train sequence uh by brian de palma which still i mean holds up and looks visually fantastic and um also it looks like ethan was ready to kill him he was gonna he was ready to kill him he was, he was gonna trying kill him. to he decided um he decided for a moment to, fuck he- it! to hesitate but then he was like fuck it i'm gonna fucking kill you <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he would have if briggs didn't show up yeah yeah so i thought that was interesting character trait but then also like i said earlier gabriel looking at his watch oh time's up bam i'm gonna jump off Right when the AI tells me to, and land perfectly in that truck. I will say that looked a little cheesy. It did. There's no way he would have survived that. He's going like, they're going, was, like 80, they were going really fast, 80 miles per hour. They, like I was like, kilometers per hour. It could have been like a net. I think yeah. would have worked better. The truck bed Yeah, the truck a little bed. bit, a little, a little cheesy. I mean, your body's still going as yeah. fast as the train. I would say a big net would have been better, or a bigger truck. Or yeah, like a really big truck, yeah. <laughs> with like a bunch of pillows. In Maybe it. Maybe like one of those dirt bike foam pools yeah like ex- i like that it's a good idea <laughs> that would have been a little more acceptable. or a river i will say it, it didn't it was cheesy that was cheesy otherwise it's great <laughs> but also fuck it like why not whatever <laughs> so this movie ends setting up dead reckoning part two and i've never wanted a sequel so immediately in my life but i will patiently wait so ethan speeds speed what, speeders is that what he calls it that's a speeder speed, speed flying speed flying basically Speeders. <laughs> he, well, he says it's a speeder oh oh it does yeah yeah he yeah, calls this it, speeder. Called, yeah benji says speed flying and gotcha yeah. and so he speed flies off the train oh yeah which was so cool to see it was just looks very dangerous and uh, he's got the, both pieces of the key, which he gives to Benji. And Benji's like, oh, my God, thank God. But, like, Ethan's like, what a fucking day. <laughs> Grace has been captured, kind of, but also has accepted a mission from Kittredge, basically. He told me, Ethan told me I can trust you trust you, and that you'd offer me a choice, and I accept. Yeah, she accepts been joining, yeah. He says, interesting. Welcome to the team. So it's, I bet you that Kittredge is going to pit Grace against Ethan in the second film. No, no, I think um, the way I looked at it uh, is that it was just her joining the IMF. But Ethan is not part of the IMF technically right now with Kittredge because Kittredge and Ethan are opposing forces still. Ethan has the keys. I suppose, but I, don't... I think he's going to use Grace to get to Ethan, basically, because I think Ethan, he wants to kill the AI, whereas the entity, whereas Kittredge wants to control it. It's huh, an interesting take. It's the only way that she can survive prison, be out of prison. Basically, she has yeah, to she work has, for Kittredge yeah, she has No choice until she can In, link up with the IMF again. Interesting. Choice. I think it's about basically until you, if you're not hanging with the IMF directly, you have to like work for Kittredge or someone yeah. else. Yeah, that's true because I love how Briggs is like. He's always rogue. <laughs> 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 He's like, isn't isn't Ethan Hunt rogue? He's like, he's always rogue. It's just what he does. <laughs> and so I love how they're like, you expect one man to hopefully pull this off? <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> so Ethan and IMF have the keys. They have both have. But they don't know the location of the submarine yet, right? Gabriel knows it. Gabriel Gabriel's knows- the only one who knows where exactly the submarine is. Because even though the so- the submarine soldiers floated up you could, in the opening of the scene and they were stopped by the ice on the surface of the water... Once that ice melted, they drifted into a different area. So nobody knows where exactly the submarine is. Except for Dellinger did. Dellinger knew. However, he got killed by Gabriel. Yes, he knows. He knows where. But they they took him out. Are you sure? You're sure. You're the only person on the planet who knows. I'm sure. Slit throat. You will betray us for Ethan Hunt, basically. So that's how the film ends. Gabriel doesn't have the key. The entity doesn't have the key. Now IMF has the key, both halves. Now oh, they yeah. have to figure out where oh, the yeah. chamber is, where the submarine and they, is. They still have to evade the AI because Palm Paris reveals to Ethan what the secret is. What's it? Af- what are they after? And she says it's the Syvesta pool, the submarine, S- Submarine like Wayne. a submarine, Mister Wayne, submarine. <laughs> <laughs> Dark Knight reference, sick reference, bro. Your references are out of control. Everybody knows it. But it was, it was a terrific conclusion. I'm really looking forward to seeing how they wrap this storyline up and what they have in store for us for the next episode. I really like the K- Kittredge in this movie, too, and they yeah. end with voiceover of him. He has a lot of great lines and like mo- voiceover monologues in this movie, and he's such an ambiguous character in terms of his moral compass. He's, he's a bad guy, but also kind of a good guy. So the scene. I, mean, I think he kind of represents the gray area of the American government in the military yeah, industrial complex. Exactly. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah. And they, they even reference that. And I love. I was expecting him to just have like a like that one scene, but he had a lot to do. I was I was actually pleasantly surprised with how much screen time he had. Yeah, because when he's in the deal with who he thinks is Alana, right? He offers the power of the American military-industrial complex with oh, yeah. the entity oh, yeah. would be a formidable force. It's a superpower. Superpower, because yeah. basically every government organization wants control of the entity to be the ultimate superpower. Um, it's D- Dinlinger says that. Denlinger. To Gabriel. Oh, okay, yeah, you're right. Not, I'm, sorry. Not, I'm sorry. Not Kittredge. Not Kittredge. Yeah. Thanks for correcting you're me. You're mixing up the old white guy's throat. Right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Racist! That Apple review is right. <laughs>
0: a pig (laughs) you pig man they got a lot of keywords in that review they did (laughs) well you got anything else on mission impossible dead reckoning part one i loved it it was so much fun i want to see it again in theaters um it releases this week this past weekend so i'm gonna see it sometime this week um if you haven't seen it i highly recommend checking it out in imax in imax and for rankings i think this is for me it's number two in the mi franchise uh, because I really like the story, but also it did have, like I said, the pacing issues. Uh, I think that Mission Impossible Fallout is so perfect that it might not ever be topped by the franchise. It might be, it's like it's like the Empire Strikes Back of the franchise. It's just, you're never going to do better than that. But, this is still a wonderful entry. It was so much fun. I can't wait to revisit the franchise when the next film comes out. Yeah, I, I still am figuring out my ranking. I know everyone wants to know. I, I have Fallout number one too, I mean... I, I don't know how you could possibly top that movie. Even though the stunts and the action sequences are bigger in this movie, I still think it's just a perfect movie. I, I do think the helicopter sequence in Fallout is Okay, in the Halo jump. Yeah, Impressive. the helicopter sequence is awesome. Yeah. But that movie overall, just like a story, I think, is just so airtight. Like you said, the pacing's terrific. Everything about that movie is perfect. This movie was exceptional. You know, it's my favorite of the year so far, 2023. I don't know if that will change when I see Oppenheimer. We'll find out in a week or so. But if I was ranking Mission Impossible movies right now, I'd put Fallout number one. I might put the original number two. I still love that movie, and I still think it's underappreciated. And oh yeah, I love them. it's number three. It's for overhated, me. It, and it's at the bottom of a lot of pe- near the bottom of a lot of people. That's, so that's ridiculous. I still think Mission Impossible: The Original is so special. So the top three for me is Fallout, then maybe number two, but if not, probably Dead Reckoning Part One. But also, I mean, Rogue Nation is excellent. Ghost Protocol is awesome, excellent. Yeah. they are all really good. Even number two, you know, it has its moments, and I love some Hong Kong—I mean, Hong Kong action as well. So, it's, but dude, that, that final fight scene with all the slow mo Yeah, if you got to ridic- put one at the ridiculous. bottom of the list. It's Mission Impossible Two, and Tom's doing like literal kung fu kicks. <laughs> so right now, if I was if I was ranking them right now, I'd probably do Fallout, Mission Impossible, then Dead Reckoning Part One, then Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, Mission Impossible Three, Mission Impossible Two. So my ranking would be. Uh, it would be Fallout, Dead Reckoning. Number one, uh, Rogue Nation, Ghost Protocol. Number three, and then number two. <laughs> pretty close. Pretty yeah. 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 That damn that number. That list. damn number two. All right, everybody. The hair. <laughs> it, he does have the best hair in that movie, though. It's pretty good hair. <laughs> it's Pretty good hair. He's got a great tan too. <laughs> yeah. Also, besides Tom. Uh-huh. Ving Rames is the only other character to appear in every single Mission Impossible movie. True. As Luther. fact, Simon Pegg didn't come in until number three. Uh-huh. Fact check true. Fact check true. And also, real quick, Luther... He's gone the third act of this movie because he has to take his hard drive, which has traces of the entity on it, to go to a secure location where the entity cannot track him to try to figure out some kind of coding or what he can do with the coding of the entity so that when they figure out what's inside that chamber, they can figure out how to destroy it. Yeah, so you're going to see him. We'll see him a lot more in the second film. Oh, yeah. Big well, time. Well, I cannot wait. I wanted five hours of this movie. It was, it, was, fr- it was fun. I was so disappointed when I realized it was ending, man. Yeah, I was, was so fun. bummed. Yeah. And I think it worked really great as a part one. Oh, yeah, I I agree. think it really did. We did have a little bit of an awkward theater experience because they they played like 10 minutes of behind the scenes. Before the movie. Before the movie. And footage. I had my eyes closed. Yeah, I was like, I want to watch the movie. They were showing like behind the scenes of the chase, behind the scenes of the jump, behind the scenes of the train. And I was like, we're literally about to watch this. What the fuck? They showed so much footage of the Rome chase. And I, I had my eyes closed and I was covering my yeah, ears. Yeah, I wasn't like, watching most like, of Like, why the, yeah. are we, why yeah. are you playing this? Can you this? just play the movie? For 10 minutes. It's not like we're not here to see the movie, right? <laughs> play it after or just do interviews. Yeah. Show the interviews and behind the scenes. I don't want to yeah. see the actual footage of the Rome chase. Same, same, same. I think they wanted to hammer home like we did this for real. But I was like, we know, we're not, we, we just want to watch the movie. That's why we're here. Do it after or something. Jeez, Louise. But anyways, it was great. It's a movie for free. So. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and we got a free poster. First World Problems. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much to IMAX for the invite and the poster. It was an awesome experience. Sorry. Play all the trailers you want. Uh, yeah, it's fine. IMAX. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anthony, quit complaining, man. <laughs> they, they're crossing <laughs> us off the email list yeah, right now. They unsubscribed. <laughs> Delete. <laughs> the entity is listening. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. This movie just... raises the stakes of the Mission Impossible franchise to heights I didn't think it could reach with a bigger and badder villain. The largest stakes for the franchise ever. Ethan Hunt's biggest challenge. It was so exciting to watch this movie. Cannot wait for the sequel. Definitely leave us a five-star review. Help us get that bad rating off (laughs) Apple. Nice and low in the feed. (laughs) Appreciate you all so much for tuning in. Take care, everybody. And we are glad you accepted this mission. See you next time. This episode was executive produced by our Chosen One patrons, Cody Moen, Andrew Hagen, Becca Keen, Benjamin Cook, Calvin Murphy Griggs, Nicholas Martin, Darian, Tyler McFly, and Sal Kotching. Our Chosen One patrons are our biggest supporters. Thank you so much.